Thanks the Lord. Thanks the Lord. A friend said recently, she came up with this pained look on her face, and she said, you make me sick. <laughs> and I said, what have I done now? She said, why don't you act your age? <laughs> I know how old you are. You're two years away from 80. And slow down. Stay home. And <laughs> tend to your didn't. <laughs> well, uh, in between everything else, I've nearly got me an outfit crocheted to wear to the World Conference next year because uh, I don't have enough warm clothes uh, but uh, I was 78 years old in July but my answer to her was I act like I feel is anything wrong with that yeah. hallelujah 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 <laughs> but you will never know how many times I have read that scripture and felt like it was a commission to me and uh, I've been preaching the gospel when they thought I was too young to preach I started, <laughs> and I'm sure someone's going to decide I'm too old pretty soon, maybe, but uh, I'll tell you one thing. God is wonderful, Amen. and you don't have to just go to death, you know, I mean, die on your feet, you know, just don't rush it. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I kind of get, you Americans, you see, I've lived in Africa more than I've lived here, so you Americans, I'm an African. Uh, <laughs> You Americans uh, are, are anxious to get old, just real anxious. Is that what you're looking at me for? Okay. <laughs> you're real anxious to get old. I mean, 40 years old and you have these, what they call it, over-the-hill parties. Uh, I mean, as if that's the end of the world. Hey, I was just getting started at 40. And uh, it's not a stopping place. My mother went to Africa when she was 63 years old. And I read this. When Moses was 80, his strength was still in him, and he was strong. God will do everything for you that you'll let him do. And uh, he wants you to allow him to do more for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to read you the scripture. I'm so glad the Lord spoke to me and let me do this, because I enjoy it. This one. <laughs> I read you the scripture that brought me out of bed on my feet, dancing. I read half of the verse. And got up and jumped out of bed and danced and held on to the word, and then I finally settled down and read the rest of it. But I'm going to just read you the first part of a verse that did something for me that I cannot even explain. I've tried to preach on it now two or three times, but I never get to the... I can't get through with this one. It's just so beautiful. In Psalms 143, the eighth verse, I'm reading first just the first part of this verse. I actually think I was almost asleep because it was quite late. But I read this. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. And I began, I got up the next day and made a study of loving kindness. I mentioned this earlier. I don't have to go through all of that, but let me turn back here and just read a few scriptures in the Psalms. Psalm 63, verse 3 says, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. Better than life itself is this wonderful loving kindness that God has shown unto us. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let me turn over here to... Uh, chapter 42 of Psalms. There's a verse there I want to read that is so precious. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. In the night his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of life. God will command his loving kindness. Oh, hallelujah. And, I, and then turn over to Psalms 48 and verse 9. It says, We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. That loving kindness of his is so powerful and it's so wonderful. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And it's something that is available for every one of us. In Psalms 92 verse 2 says, To shew forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. That's the second time he's mentioned it in the morning. After I got through rejoicing a little bit, I said, Lord, I don't think that I hear your loving kindness every morning. He said, you're not listening. We've got to listen. We need to learn to listen to the voice of the Lord. You know what all of our problems are about? 
Excuse me, sister, I'm going to use you for an illustration. Now, this morning when I was talking about healing, I felt just like God's power for it to heal flowing through here. Now, any one of you, that you know, they had a pool at Bethesda that anybody jumped in and got healed when it was moving? Well, I felt like any one of you could have just reached out and grabbed your healing and you would have had it. And the Lord showed me that someone did. And I stopped and waited for them to shout and they didn't shout. And she come and told me about it and she said, I thought. Now, let me tell you what your big enemy is, is that I thought business. Your human understanding, if you could cancel out, somehow to shift out of gears out of that I thought business, that is what cheats you out of more blessings than anything else in this world. Uh, you see, I, I waited for that shot because I knew somebody was healed and I knew they're supposed to jump up and praise God for it. Sister, jump up right quick and praise God for it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. hallelujah. Let me tell you that every service we go to, his loving kindness is there. In fact, I mentioned, let me mention again Psalms 103. You have crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies. God has already crowned you with his loving kindness, but you've got to start listening for it. Well, the next day or two after this happened, I got up on a day that started with some bad news. And this is terrible to say, but I had not been to the back side of my house in five months. I mean, I didn't have time. I mean, you don't understand. I'm going all the time. The last time I figured it out was 1992. I spent, I averaged two days a week at home for the whole year. Now, there might be some weeks that I'd get to stay four days, but then I'd go away and be gone for two weeks before I come back. So I averaged two days at home. Last year, don't even count, we spent three months in Africa the early part of the year, and we spent the whole month of December in Africa. That's four months out of the year, so don't need to figure on that one. Well, I'm, I don't guess I'll figure on this one either because uh, I've spent some time in England in March this year, and we spent two weeks in August with 31 young people on a tour of uh, of. Uh, well, it's to anybody interested in missions, any young people, it was just beautiful. Brother Freeman and I were counselors, and in fact, I guess that's the last time I preached on his loving kindness. I preached on it on the bus, holding on for dear life while the old bus was going just like this. <laughs> I think that's the last time I preached on loving kindness. Uh, but uh, uh, it was, I was so thrilled to see the reaction of these young people to the young people over there. We had two youth conferences in between. We took them to the Cougar Park. And we rode an old service bus and landed up in jail. That sounds bad, but really wasn't as bad as it sounds. The prison farms in South Africa has gone into the guest business. <laughs> and so we were booked one night at the prison farm. And that was the bad food I think I ever ate in my life. It was cooked for us by the prisoners and, and, and served to us by the trusty prisoners. And so the kids all, they said, we got something to write home about. We landed up in jail. And they built some little cottages there. Uh, and all the furniture it was built by the prisoners and it was made of cedar and it was just beautiful uh, and it was really an unusual experience and uh, well uh, there was different estimates on how many got the Holy Ghost I personally counted over 70 uh, but uh, we had a two youth conferences 420 miles apart it was a hectic uh, two weeks, then I was got very much sleep, but it was just beautiful. I, I wouldn't trade anything for it, and now we'll be going to Ethiopia in December to do their conference there. But I'm just explaining why I hadn't been behind my house in five months. <laughs> and <laughs> so I turned, I, I said, let me just go look and see how things are back there, you know, if it's still back there. And I, I, I walked around the corner of the house thinking, Lord, I haven't heard your loving kindness this morning. You see, if we stopped to listen for that lovely, loving kindness, we'd make it through our days a whole lot better. And, and I was waiting for it, and I was expecting it, and I never really expected to find it on the back side of my house. The first thing I saw was the poison ivy has gone wild back here. It was climbing up the side of our house at the back. Uh, and weeds of all kinds and descriptions. But right in the middle of it, there was a clematis that I had planted. And I had not looked at it in months. It has had no care whatsoever. And this thing had bloomed. I counted 36 big blooms on that one bush. They're in the middle of the weeds and the poison ivy and all the, the neglect. 
And it's just like I heard the hallelujah chorus just burst out. I found his loving kindness on the backside of my house that morning. Because I, I seemed to hear this choir singing, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Because just the hand of God could make anything so beautiful. Those little flowers are like a light lavender with a purple stripe down the middle of each petal. And it was so gorgeous. It was so beautiful. I run in the house to take, got my camera to try to take a picture. And I tried to prop it all up together and it all fell down before I got the picture taken. So I didn't get all of them, but uh, I, I got recorded one loving kindness. Just, it seemed like he lifted me up, just the sight to think that in the midst of all of this neglect, uh, and uh, no water, nothing, absolutely nothing, not, it was even being choked to death by weeds and poison ivy. Oh, hallelujah. God showed me his loving kindness that morning. And I want you to start a change your way of doing. I know we're all so, uh, so, you know, the way life is for people today, it's just like a rubber band that's stretched to the limit. Uh, count me in. Welcome to the club. We're all in the same boat. Uh, but you see, somewhere in the midst of that pressure and, and all of those things that's got to be done, stand still a few minutes and listen for his loving kindness because he will let you hear it. Let me tell you, every morning I get up uh, and, uh, uh, well, just uh, sometimes it's something just so simple. I'll, I'll get a phone call. I got a phone call from a lady in California when I was right in the middle of that honey business. Uh, it, it was even before the worst came. And she said, Sister Freeman, she said, it's just like you came in front of me and looked right into my eyes twice. So I got on my knees and prayed for you. And I'm just calling, hey, to hear somebody's praying for me is the most wonderful news. You talk about loving kindness. That is a loving kindness. As the lady sang so beautifully, it's a loving kindness of God when he moves on us to pray for each other. And I've made up my mind. I'm going to phone people as much as I can or write them. I have written some letters when God had moved on me to pray for others. But you start listening for his loving kindness. How it caused me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. I memorized the scripture that day when it came to me because it says, For in thee do I trust. Who is your confidence in? He is the only one we can put confidence in. We cannot put confidence in the flesh. The arm of flesh will fail you. Even those you love will fail you. Those that have loved you will fail you. But Jesus will never fail. He will never fail. He is God. I just wish I could give you a mind transplant so that you could get a glimpse today of how big and how powerful and how wonderful and how glorious your God is. And he's yours. He's all yours. If you want him to be. For in thee do I trust. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. If my confidence is in him, you see, we've got an insidious voice that talks to every last one of us. I don't care who you are or what you have done for God or what you have been or where you have come from. There is a voice, an evil, slimy voice, the same voice that got Eve in the Garden of Eden. He's never left the women alone since the Garden of Eden, I promise you that. But you can tune him out with God's loving kindness. Hallelujah. Ooh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, I pray for my sisters right now that they will learn to listen for your loving kindness. Forgive me, Lord, for so often that I didn't listen. And help me never again to fail to listen for your loving kindness in the morning. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I often say that Africa ruined a good American husband for me. We had five children, and I remember back in the good old days in America, uh, we were getting ready to go anywhere. We put them through the assembly line. I mean, he'd put the kids through the bathtub, and I'd comb hair and dress. And, and, but he got in Africa, and we had to have servants. And there was just so much that I couldn't possibly do. And don't be envious, please, because they were the greatest developer of my patience of anything that I've ever had. Uh, I, I said to my husband one day, this is supposed to be cheap labor. I mean, the first ones I had only cost me $10 a month, besides what they ate. And I said, uh, they, they call this cheap labor. Well, sometimes you watch them, it's awful hard to call it labor. You know, I mean, we, the, the law compelled us to put paste wax on the floor of a house that we rented. All the rent houses was this way. And you've got to buy red for the porches or green. And, and, and if you've got to get down on your knees, there's no way to put it on except down on your knees. Uh, and then it's got to be rubbed with a brush. Well, I've watched them rub in one spot sound asleep. You know, they, they got their arms in motion like they said in the rub mode. And, and they still rub it, but they sound asleep on their knees. Of course, that one spot will really shine. <laughs> 
Uh, but I said, and when you consider how much they waste and how much they break and how much they steal, uh, you know, uh, it's sure not cheap. But it was just a way of life that we simply had to go because of that paste wax and a few other things. Everything was done from scratch there, I mean to tell you. Uh, and, uh, but what had happened, what happened over the years, I didn't even realize, they did everything for my husband. I mean, I left my shoes out on the back porch, uh, Aggie, before you leave, uh, bring them in. <laughs> and he didn't have to go pick up anything. He didn't have to go put up anything. And uh, they ruined him. I mean, uh, <laughs> and help out in the house, forget it. I mean, Africa ruined that man. Uh, there's no two ways about it. Uh, but I love him. He's a wonderful man. And I was really disappointed that things, conditions did not allow him to come with me on this trip. Uh, uh, of all things, he's babysitting. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> uh, the grandkids, the great-grandkids mostly. But it, uh, th this is what is so good. Now, the other morning, uh, there was just seemed like, uh, Lord, if there's any loving kindness around here, I can't even smell it, <laughs> uh, much less hear it. <laughs> and, and my husband come in, and he said, what can I do to help you? Well, I nearly fell over. <laughs> And I recognized his loving kindness in the voice of my husband. He said, you know, I just got to thinking, there's, I, I leave so much for you to do, and you're a busy lady, and I'm going to help you better after this. Well, I call it loving kindness. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I mean, if he just, I said to my children, if something happens to me, get there as quick as you possibly can, because my, your daddy won't be able to get out of bed after a while. His boots and his shoes will be all around it. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to clear the way for him to get out of bed. Uh, and that same day, I come in and found him actually in the act of putting him in the closet. <laughs> and so I thank God for his loving kindness. He is a very wonderful man. He's a man of prayer and a man of faith, and I thank God for him. Uh, but th this was a beautiful, beautiful thing that God did. And that loving kindness. I got a phone call another day that uh, just seemed like the weight of the world was on my shoulders. And uh, I said, everything I look at in my house needs emptying or filling <laughs> or cleaning or being thrown away. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's just everywhere I look, it, it's this kind of neglect. Uh, and uh, I got a phone call, and this friend said, I don't have time to talk. I just called to say I love you. Bye. Have a good day. <laughs> His loving kindness shone through in the words of a friend. You see, you start listening for it, and you'll hear his loving kindness. I wake up every excited every morning now because I know somewhere here his loving kindness is going to be there, and I'm going to hear it. Hallelujah. For in thee do I trust. My trust and my confidence is holy and completely in him and he never fails oh hallelujah hallelujah this loving kindness of his is, is is that's a strange word it's not a part of our everyday language you know we don't talk about uh, now children you show loving kindness to everyone it might be a good idea if we did but it isn't a, a matter it's not a common word and it isn't even common in literature according to what i have found out and most of it in the Bible is found in Psalms. There's four other scriptures in the Bible that mentions his loving kindness. But this is a special favor that God has for his children that trust in him. And if you go for a few weeks and you don't hear it, but well, you're not listening, my friend, because he loves you and he will show you his loving kindness. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Uh, so many times it came so expectedly. I was making a trip recently that was a very, very hard trip. Uh, and I was sitting at the airport, and I looked around at all of those people, and I thought, well, uh, today I'm weary. I'm not usually so weary early in the morning, but it was a very early morning. I mean like six something, six o'clock, after a little after six in the morning, and I've got to get my body lifted up off of that bench and get in that line and, and get on that plane. And, uh, but then I thought, well, I'll quote the scripture. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. And then one of the men behind the counter walked over to me. There was people sitting there that looked older than I feel, or looked older than I look, maybe. Uh, but he came straight to me, and he said, let me help you get on the plane. First of all, 
His loving kindness. Hallelujah. I knew what it was. I didn't have to stand in line. I, I didn't have to do anything. I had my ticket in my hand. He just took it and took the part he wanted and handed me back the rest. And he escorted me on the plane. Now, man, that's the first time that ever happened. But that was his loving kindness for that day. Oh, hallelujah. And you know, it doesn't mean it's just going to come once. Sometimes it's come three or four times in one morning that God has let me hear his loving kindness. Promise me that you're going to listen because his loving kindness is, and pray this prayer that David prayed, cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning for in thee do I trust. Well, when I finally got through shouting and rejoicing that morning, I went back and sat down on the edge of the bed to read the rest of the verse. <laughs> you know, need to, need to read the rest of this and I want to read the rest of it to you now. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. For I lift up my soul unto thee. This is such an important thing. We need to know which way he wants us to walk every day. Oh yes, I know for you as well as for me, there's these things that's lined out that must be done. <laughs> uh, it's a new experience for me. I've got to write this column for the reflections and they want it way ahead of time. And she said, I'd like to have two of them at once. And <laughs> Well, so far this month, I've got one off. <laughs> I've got to get home and do the other one as quick as I get home. But uh, that, that there's all of these things. But first thing in the morning, this is what I have been doing. And it's been such a blessing to me. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk today. Sometimes there's little detours he wants us to make. Sometimes it's just something we are, on the way we're going, there's something we can reach out and do for him. There is something he wants every one of us to do. He has a special task for every one of his children. You don't think that he just saved you to let you feel good and happy in the Holy Ghost and then take you to heaven after a while? He asks for fruit. He wants fruit. And we need to start thinking about producing fruit for the master. Do you remember he told the story of the, the man coming to his orchard and found there a tree that had not borne any fruit for three years? And he said, cut it down. And the gardener says, no, wait, let me work on it. Let me water it. Let me feed it. And let us see that if it will not produce fruit. God has saved us to be fruit bearers for him. Turn over there to the 15th chapter of John. There are some remarkable words in that 15th chapter of John. Jesus starts it off by saying, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. That's what he says about us. Let's just turn there and read that a little bit. It is, it is such a remarkable chapter. I am the true vine. And my father is a husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Do you want God to remove you? He knows how. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Uh-oh. Well, I thought I brought all poison fruit for the Lord. Now why is everything going wrong? Why is everything I try to do doesn't turn out right? What, what is happening well, he's just purging you, honey, so you can be more fruitful. Say, thank you, Jesus, for the pruning. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, uh, we used to travel a lot in South Africa in the area where they raised so many grapes. I'm sorry they raised a lot of it for wine. But anyway, we have driven by these vineyards when they are pruning them. And there's a whole lot more in the ground they've cut off than what they leave. And sometimes God gets cut, starts cutting back on us. And there's always a real good reason for this. He wants to help you to bring forth more fruit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've had people come to me and say, Sister Freeman, ever since I've tried to begin to commence to get closer to God, everything has gone wrong. That's par for the course, honey. That's the way it works. <laughs> He's pruning the vine so it can produce some more fruit. Hallelujah. But now there's an alternative. I mean, you can just quit, you know, uh, let me... Read, read the fourth verse. Abide in me, he said, and I in you. That's the secret. Abide in me, and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. Uh, he said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Now, I've proven that to my own satisfaction, that without him I can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. 
and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, that's the end of the unfruitful branch. I don't want you to be an unfruitful branch, and I don't want to be an unfruitful branch. I remember a morning just a few weeks ago that I prayed this over and over. Oh, God, cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. For I lift up my soul unto thee. And it was just like a burden on me that morning. And then I got a phone call. It was a cancellation of a service. Well, it wasn't really a cancellation, just changing a date. And I went to my husband. I said, now we have got this date open, this Sunday night even, if we don't want to do both services. But maybe take a little break on that Sunday morning. But uh, what do you think? He said, I'll pray. And then he'd come later. He said, uh, you had an appointment, or we had an appointment, to go to Orange, Texas when our daughter died in October last year. He said, now we can go. Phone him and tell him we've got this open Sunday. So I called Brother David Foss in Orange, Texas, and he was thrilled because he had asked me to call him if I had an open date. He had called me twice, and I didn't have anything open. But I've got this open date. And so little did we know that the Lord was working out something that we didn't know anything about. And on the Wednesday of the week before that Sunday, we got word that my husband's nephew, who was raised with him as a brother, is in the hospital dying with acute leukemia. A man 80 years old, but had never been sick before in his life. In fact, he rode his tractor, worked on his tractor, helped a neighbor level his yard that morning. And then that afternoon, took a high fever and cold chills. They took him to the hospital. And two weeks and four days from the time they discovered he had it, he was gone. And uh, we went there Saturday. We got down there Saturday. How thankful we were. We didn't have to cancel an appointment. We're only 30 miles from Orange, Texas, where we're supposed to be Sunday night. We spent all day Saturday with them. And, and then, but that Saturday morning, I said, Lord, you have guided us so beautifully. You led us so wonderful. But cause me to know, Lord, the way where I should walk. And all day I felt like there's something else you're supposed to do. And I couldn't think what it was. Finally, at 8 o'clock, we'd been at the hospital for hours. My husband said, you know, it's a long time since breakfast. Could we just go and get a little something to eat? So I don't remember. I used to know the restaurants there in that town, but I remembered one that I knew would be open. So uh, we went to it, and we sat there. And then a waitress caught my eye. She looked so weary. And, but she was doing her work very carefully. She wasn't serving us. She was serving the section near to us. And I saw her setting the tables right and everything. And I prayed for her, Lord. That lady looked so weary. And then the Lord spoke to me, said, get up and go speak to her. Now, I started, and I don't know what I'm going to say. Uh, I'm just like you. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. But just as I got there, the Lord gave me the words. I put my arms around her and I hugged her. I said, has anybody hugged you today and told you that Jesus loves you? And what did I find I had in my arms? I had a backslider. And she said, oh, God made you come to me. Everything has gone wrong in my life. My husband's had surgery. I've been at the hospital. I've been getting, staying at the hospital all night with him and then coming to work because the bills have still got to be paid. My mother, I depended on her so much, and she died just a few weeks ago. I, when I was serving God, things were a whole lot better. I promise you, I'll go back to church. I know her pastor even. Oh, I'll tell you what, God, there's a way to walk if we're willing to get out of our and I'm bashful, and I don't know what to do. Don't matter if you don't know what to do. He knows what to do. Cause me to know the way where I should walk. Oh, it's happened to me so many times. I, I am a person, now you may not believe that I'm shy and bashful, but it's very hard for me to talk to strangers. I've always been that way all of my life. And, and all that I do, I have to do with the help of the Lord, because it's not me. Uh, it, it's him, hallelujah. But I have gone so many times to strangers, and every time it's been a leading of God. Cause me to know, Lord, the way wherein I should walk. So maybe it's in the grocery store, or maybe in, once in a, in a grocery store, the little harried girl that was checking out my order, I just reached over and took her hand and said, Jesus, bless you. And tears came to her eyes, and she said, thank you, thank you. I needed that. I needed that. And just, just let the Lord do it through you. It's not what you do. He just wants some hands. He wants some feet. He wants some lips. He wants someone to go and to do and to say something. We need this world. It's so full of evil words. This world is so full of discouragement. 
It's so full of ugliness. It's so full of cynicism. It's so full of unbelief. It's so full of humanism. It's so full of atheism. It's so full of everything ungodly and vile. We that know him need to know the way he wants us to walk. And let me tell you something. When you begin to reach out to others, just in a small way, just in a small way, look at a mother having a wrestle with some little kids and you go and divert a child's attention, talk to that child just a minute. I've had their grateful eyes flash at me. Just, oh, so glad for somebody that detracts them a little bit from their little naughtiness and things that they're trying to do. You see, there is so much that we can do. And what are we doing? Just come and say, bless me, Lord, help me, Lord, save me, Lord, save my kids, Lord, save. If we would begin to be used by him, and God wants to use every one of you. I will never forget something I saw in a state. I won't name the name of the state. Because at that time, that state was in great financial difficulties. They had a campground, and they a very nice one, but they were about to lose it. And they just had a board meeting before the first service of the camp meeting. And these board members marched out and sat on the platform looking like warmed over death. And they said, of course, I can imagine how they felt. We're about to lose everything we've worked and labored for for so long. And then the preacher gets up, the young preacher that's supposed to lead this thing and start the service. And he started off with one another's times when, oh, how I love Jesus is appropriate. We always love him. We must love him. But sometimes you need some rejoicing in the camp. And then they started in with another song, but the people were not singing. And I'm looking at it, and it wasn't a song that you really clap on. I wish I could remember exactly what the song was. It's a good chorus, but I saw this little old country lady, and I knew she was a country lady by the way she was dressed. I mean, she had on a little homemade cotton print dress that she had made herself. It didn't even fit her too good. Her hair was pulled straight back in a little knot on the back of her head, but she got up and started clapping her hands to that song that wasn't, you know, it's not the kind you really ordinarily clap to. But I thought, now if she's got the courage to clap to it, I'll join her. So I got up and started clapping my hands too. Uh, but I stayed back in the seat, but she walked out right in front of everybody. One by one, I saw the presbyters. They kind of, you know, it was kind of an effort for them at first. It was those board members. It was just uh, the district board. They was having an awful time. But finally, they got to clapping. And then they just, that song kind of speeded up of its own, you know, and got a little faster. And then all of a sudden, I looked around, and I saw everybody in that place is clapping their hands and rejoicing. And God turned that thing around for that district. God moved and answered their problem and all through one little lady that wasn't afraid to stand out in front of the crowd and be different. Everybody else was sitting there sad and solemn. Most everyone knew what was happening, but they began to clap and praise God following the lead of one little lady. I watched that one little woman turn a whole service around. And when I went to her afterwards to thank her for what she did, she was so bashful, she didn't know where to put her head when I'm talking to her. <laughs> but she got up there and overcame her bashfulness and, and clapped her hands and turned the whole camp meeting around. She turned the whole district around because that night God moved on the hearts of people that had the money. And they gave it. Now, there's a lot of times people that's got it. But they're not going to give it to your sad face. But they got so impressed with the way God moved in that service. I mean, and God took over that camp meeting. That whole service was one of the most glorious ones I ever remember in a camp meeting. But it didn't start off that way. But somebody turned it around. Woo, hallelujah. Caused me to know the way wherein I should walk. I was preaching a meeting way back yonder sometime. And a, and a man come up to me and said, Sister Freeman, my wife went to town and bought her this beautiful dress, navy blue, with pink trimming on it, and I want you to go get a dress just like it, and here's the money. Well, the next day I got somebody to keep the kids, and I walked to town uh, to, so I could go find me a navy blue dress with pink trimming. But on the way, as I was walking, I said, God, I want to be led by you. Lead me. He wants to lead us every step we make. Now, he'll lead you to do a lot of the routine things, a lot of the monotonous things, a lot of the have-to things. He'll lead you right there. He won't lead you away from it. Now, I've seen some people, they try to get so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. He won't lead you away from what your responsibilities and your duty is. No. 
But I walked into this store, I'll never forget, and I said to this lady, um, would you show me a navy blue dress, size 14, a trimmed with, uh, one trim with a navy blue dress trimmed with pink? She says, follow me, please. And I followed her, and she went out the back door of the store, and I'm still following her. And she went over into another room, and she got me in that room, and then she locked the door. And then she turned back to me, and she said, my son is in terrible trouble. And I said, God, I need somebody to help me pray for my son. Send somebody in the store. She said, and when you came in the store, there was a light over you. I saw this light coming with you, and I knew you're the one. I never did get the navy blue dress then. Way later on, way later on, I finally got the navy blue dress. Uh, but I got something better. I was led by God to help a dear mother in her problem, in her time of need. And that's what God wants to do for you. Every last one of you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> Ooh, you know, I feel something so strong and so powerful here. I, I, you are listening, and you're making up your mind. I will pray that prayer. It calls me to know the way wherein I should walk. You see, if you're going to get some ideas and start to carry it out on your own, it's going to fall flat. But if you let him lead you step by step, do you know that's the way God leads you? That's the way he's led me in the ministry. I mean, my husband just got the Holy Ghost, and we went the next week and held a revival. <laughs> now, that's not the way to do it, really. Uh, you, you need to stay and learn a little bit before you start out. But we learned while we were doing it. And then before we know it, six months later, we find ourselves pastoring a church. Of course, that wasn't really any fun in games because they thought we were too young to preach or eat either. And uh, so uh, we, we went through some hard times, which was very good for us. Those hard times is your schooling. Those hard times are your training. That's when the master shepherd and the master farmer is getting you ready for what he wants you to do. Every single thing that happens to you, he allows it to come for a reason. And you may never find out the reason. And we sit around so much of the time whining, if I could just understand... If I could just understand. And there's not one promise in this book that you will ever understand. He said, I'll be with you. What more do you need? He said, I'll be with you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You don't need anything but Jesus with you. You see, he wants us to trust him. I've had it said to me, well, if I knew what was happening, I could trust him. I said, no, that's not the kind of trust he wants when you know. He wants the kind of trust that Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's what Job said. He wants you to trust him whether you can understand. And you know what? I just finally decided to sit down in the stool of the unlearned and say, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. Half of the time, I don't. And I, 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 I don't know what's happening. But somehow I muddle through because Jesus is so good and he lets me know. I had a, this book. It's a good example of me. I, I get so many phone calls and, and you know, and messages written on little pieces of paper here by the phone. And then somebody decides to come along and tidy up this place. And then I can't find my little pieces of paper. And I was talking to this young man in California that has a burden for the health of the Pentecostals. He said, Pentecostals are eating themselves into the grave too fast. And I hear that you're a health nut, and maybe you can help me. And if you've got anything that you could send me along this line, I said, well, I did some health lectures for the school of missions two or three different times, and I've got some copies of those, and I told him what I had and that I would send it to him. Well, when I finally got back home, <laughs> again, he talked to my husband first, and then he talked to me, and then I had to leave. I was ready, walking out the door when his phone call came, and I left that little piece of paper there by the phone. I've got a book there, but that book seems to take legs and walk off different places uh, and have to keep bringing it back, uh, put it by the phone. And so, that, uh, well, here's an address, and it's also California. Maybe this is the young man. <laughs> well, I wrote him a little note, and I said, I hope you are the one who asked for this health material. <laughs> I don't know how to read of the addresses that here, yours comes the nearest to me in it, but if it isn't, I hope you get some good out of it anyway. Well, <laughs> that was about a month ago, and last week I found that address that I'd got written on there. So 
wasn't the one I sent the stuff to. There's a, there's, a, there's a very surprised young man in California at a package that he got from me. <laughs> but I just keep feeling like that whatever happens, did I, did I tell you all last time about me going to Lexington, Kentucky? Did, any, did, any, did I tell you all about that? Well, see, every year we do a, uh, an indoor camp meeting in Madisonville, Kentucky. I don't know how this all worked out, but Brother Lee Stone King does the night services and we do the day services. And we're all shocked at the number of people that come out and for the day services. Usually, they just come out, a big, big bunch for the night services. But this is a big bunch of people that come there every day. And uh, so it's got to where the preachers on the way there, they come and say, now on your way to Madisonville, will you stop by that Sunday and preach for us? <laughs> or on your way back from Madisonville, will you stop by that Sunday? So this young preacher had come up and I said, now where are you, brother? He said, well, let's just say Lexington. Okay, Lexington. I said, okay. And I always listen to the voice of the Lord. Lord, make, make me to know. Now, my husband, after his accident three years ago, now a little more than three years ago now, he got so nervous that he said, you make all the appointments, and wherever you say we decide for us to go, we'll go. I'll be praying that God will guide you right. So when they start talking to me, it's just like in my heart, this is something that says yes, you know. And like the first time Sister Williams called his little voice there, said yes. And so I'm here. And uh, I came then, and here I'm back again. Uh, well, uh, while he's talking to me, the Lord said, yes, you know, I heard it. So I said, yes. And he said, I'm young, but I've got a pretty big church. And, and uh, so, I'll, all right, I'll come, and we'll be in touch later, and God bless you. And so a few minutes later, another preacher come along and asked for the same Sunday. I said, no, I, I already promised that to a young preacher. He said, where will you be going? I said, Lexington. He said, Kentucky? I said, I suppose. I mean, he, he didn't say what state, and I, all I know, the only Lexington I know is in Kentucky. And so, uh, you, you believe what I say when I say I don't ever know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, we had had to go overseas, and we hadn't got our income tax report in, and we've got a dear friend in Memphis who takes care of that for us, but we got to give her all the material, and we hadn't got all the material to her, and the deadline's coming up, so uh, we go by Memphis, and she said, I hear you're going to be in, in Tennessee. Uh, this Sunday, and I said, no, no, we're in Kentucky. We're on our way to Kentucky. Uh, she, she said, well, I heard that she's going to be in the States. She said, you know, if I, anywhere you get, I'm coming to hear you. If I can, I said, well, then we're not going to be here this weekend. So, I mean, we hurried through with everything, and they trying to get us to stay longer, and well, I didn't even want to go and eat. I wanted to get on the road to Lexington, Kentucky, because it was still a long drive from Memphis over four hours and we finally got away from there late in the afternoon and I drove like crazy and got to Lexington, Kentucky at 10 o'clock at night. And then I start looking for the motel that this young preacher told me to go to and there ain't no such motel. Well, I decided to go call him and by this time my husband was feeling very sick because we worked all night Friday night and this was Saturday night. We didn't even go to bed Friday night and we're a long way from home now up in Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, so, but when I go to the phone booth to phone him, I see, uh-oh, different area code. Uh-oh, I had slipped up but did. I got him on the phone. He said, Sister Freeman, how did you, what freeway did you ride to drive to get there? I said, Bluegrass Parkway. He said, you're in Lexington, Kentucky. I said, right, isn't that where I'm supposed to be? But I already had a feeling I'm not, you know. <laughs> he, he, said, he said, no, ma'am, you're supposed to be in Lexington, Tennessee. Didn't even know there was a Lexington, Tennessee. And so uh, I, I thought, oh, I've got to go tell my husband, and he's not feeling good, and I've got to go tell him I've done this dumb thing. And, but the Lord stopped me, and he said, I have brought you here. And when I told my husband, he said, there must be a reason you were here. And I knew that wouldn't have been his response, the way he was feeling, because he was anxious to get to a bed. And we like to never found a bed. But the young preacher said, listen, just forget us this weekend. I told him, well, I can turn around and drive back, but I can't get there for Sunday morning. He said, wait and give me a whole Sunday later on. I said, all right, I will do that. He said, call the pastor there. No doubt he'd be glad to have you. So I thought, when I get a motel, I will. Well, we like to never found a motel. And finally, we got in one. I looked at my watch, 12.30 midnight. Well, that's late, but what I didn't know was time change, and so it was actually 1.30. And, uh, but, so I woke the poor preacher up at 1.30, and the next morning he said to his wife, you know, I dreamed last night that Sister Freeman called and said she was in town, and they would come and preach for us. <laughs> and his wife said, well, you were up writing something in the night 
maybe you wrote down something. And he went back and he found on his little tablet by his bed, Freeman and my phone number. <laughs> and so he called and so we went. And the first thing I found out, a missionary and his wife in Australia, they'd had to give up mission work because her health was very bad. And they had to come back to the States and they were having a terrible time with coming back. And the pastor's wife is her daughter, which I didn't know. I didn't know the pastor, for that matter. And so uh, they, she said, God sent you here today to help us. And so we were able to counsel with them and talk with them and had wonderful services that morning and that night. And several people came up and said, you, God sent you here just for us. And they didn't know how I got there. You know, that, 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 that was what made that good. Uh, the pastor knew. We told him, but the others didn't know. Uh, and so that night when church was over, this young man came and sat down at my feet. I said, oh, please, sir, just sit on the, the cleaning room here on the bench. We're just waiting for the pastor to get everything locked up. We're going to go get something to eat, he said. And he said, I want to tell you my story right here on the floor. He said, I thought my wife and I were happily married and I thought we were happily serving God together. I was happy. I didn't know anything was wrong until she and her lawyer boyfriend made the third attempt on my life. I not only lost her, I lost our new, we lost our, I lost our new home, all interest. She moved in with him. They moved into the new home I built. I lost my new car. I lost my job. They were determined to run me out of this town. He said, I've been like a zombie. I haven't quit coming to church, but I can't sing, I can't pray, I can't read the Bible, I can't even go look for a job. I, I'm so deeply depressed, and, and I felt like there was no hope for me. He said, but God sent you here tonight to turn my life around. I'm for a job tomorrow. I'm going to read my Bible and pray. I have already sat over there and read several chapters. I'm going to pray some more. I've got a new filling of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to live again. I may never know earthly natural happiness again as I've known in the past, but I've got a feeling that if I give God everything I've got, He will make a way for me. And He said, God sent you here just for me. Then I realized so many times we make plans but God had, that was God's will for me to go preach for the young preacher. We went. I went later on, you know, and had wonderful services there. But God knew of a need of a young man here in Lexington, Kentucky. And so he sent me there the only way he knew to get me there, I guess. <laughs> Caused me to know the way wherein I should walk. Not the way you plan it, not the way I plan it, but the way he plans it. And you may find yourself lost or in the wrong direction or going the wrong way. There may be a reason. Lord, make me to know, cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. Show me what is going on, what has happened, what, what you want to happen, what you want to do. And move from there. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It is so wonderful to know if we will, just lift up our soul to him. For I lift up my soul unto thee, David said. <laughs> That's like you put yourself in your hands and just lift you up to God. <laughs> Here I am, Lord, body, soul, and spirit. I lift myself up to you. You take control of this life and move it in the way that you want it to go. I had a conversation one day with a little old lady that stayed with me. It stayed with me ever since. She lived alone. She lived in an apartment building. It was this tiny little apartment. Her bed was right there by the door. She was totally helpless. A nurse would come in so often, but she spent a lot of time alone. She said, I wasn't able to do much, but I found out that it made me feel good. If when I'm reading my Bible, I found a good scripture, I printed it on a little piece of paper. So I started asking people for paper. And I'd poke them out the window and just let them float down to the street. And it just made me feel so good. She said, but let me tell you what happened. There was a man who was staggering home drunk, and this little piece of paper just fell down, hit him on the face, and he reached up and got it. And when he read that scripture, somehow it sobered him from the effects of that alcohol. And he went to church and got right with God, and he started trying to find out who put that scripture out the window up there. And this little old lady that couldn't go to church, that couldn't talk to anybody or witness to anybody on the street because she's confined to her bed, but she printed those scriptures and threw them out the window. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. Oh, God. <laughs> he knows how to make us profitable servants for him. 
if he'd only desired to clean us up from sin and fill us with his Holy Ghost so that we could be happy and go to heaven, he'd have let us just fill over and died at the altar. A lot of people almost wish that had happened to them <laughs> because they did not go on with God as they should. But he saved you to make you a fruitful person, a bearing fruit for him. Now, there's two kinds of fruit. There is the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, you know, nine of them. It's named there in the Word. Nine fruits of the Spirit. That's your spirit, your attitude. And God wants ever all nine of them. But then he wants us to reach out and touch others. You know, if you just encourage someone. I wrote this in a book, but I feel like telling you about it. I still remember how embarrassed I felt. I mean, I'm washing dishes. What a, what's the house I supposed to do? Wash dishes. I, no, I never heard of a dishwasher then. Uh, but I'm washing dishes, and I heard this voice say, Go stand on the front porch. Now, we lived in this tiny little town where everybody knew everybody. And the first thing I thought about, if somebody drives by and sees me just standing out there on the porch, what will they think about me? They know a mother with kids and, you know, a busy housewife and a pastor's wife should have something else to do besides just stand out there on the porch. There's always that little voice that, that tries to stop you doing what you should do. You've been stopped. You know what I'm talking about. You've been stopped. The devil stopped my sister. I thought, well, maybe I'm not healed. <laughs> and yet she knew she was. Uh, he'll always put in his little voice. So I thought, well, I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to do it. I stood out there on the front porch. I guess I stood there 15 minutes. I said, Lord, you know that I feel like a fool. <laughs> you know, you know I, I felt so conspicuous. That time of the morning, just standing out on the porch. But all of a sudden, several cars went by. But here come a car. It wasn't driving too fast. Oh, I know that man. And so I waved and smiled. And he drove a little slower. And I waved and smiled as long as he was in sight. And then I felt like, go back and finish your dishes. I did. And wondered, now what was that all about? I, I didn't have any idea. Ten years later, I returned from Africa. And that man that was in that car... But I didn't think of it at that time. He walked up to me and said, Sister Freeman, when you left for Africa, I wasn't serving God. In fact, I had never served him. He said, but would you remember like a simple thing like walking out on front of your, at the front of your house on your standing on your porch about 10 o'clock one morning? And then I, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Then I, then I remembered. The Lord told me to go stand on the porch. Look silly. Really? And there was a lot of things that I could have done with that time that I stood out there. Altogether about 20 minutes. He said, I had my gun beside me on the car seat. And I was on my way to the old gravel pit to blow out my brains because I couldn't get a job. My wife had left me. No one loved me. Nobody cared what happened to J.D. And I was going to blow out my brains. But you were standing out there on your porch and you smiled and you waved. As far as I slowed down to see more of it. And when I went around the curve, you were still smiling and waving. He said, something said to me, see, somebody cares. Somebody cares. And all I did was smile and wave. But I saved a soul. Because then he was serving God, had married a Christian lady, and they were happily serving God together. God had done a wonderful work, and all in the world I did was stand out there and wave and smile. You'll never know what a smile will do. You'll never know what an encouraging word will do. You'll never know what a, what just say, a come and let's pray together will do. Or sharing a verse of scripture with someone caused me to know the way wherein I should go, the way I should walk today, Lord. For I lift up my soul unto thee. <laughs> we just live our lives so carelessly, thinking about our needs and our problems and our health and those the health and the needs and the problems of those we love. And we forget what God saved us for. Fruit. He saved you for you to win fruit. Go out and touch other lives. It's this living for ourselves that has brought many of us to.
to the sicknesses we have. God's got to get our attention some way. That's not the way he wants you to live. He wants you to think about others. He wants you to care about his world. You know, I read it again this past week that in Ezekiel it tells a story that God let Ezekiel see this vision of him sending a man go to the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on all the men that cry and weep over Jerusalem, over the sad things, the evil things that are being done. And then the next, the scene changed, and then God said, the destroying angels must go and destroy everyone that didn't care what was happening. We better care. We better pray. You know, there was a time when I said, I'm not going to ever read newspapers any again. I only got there's bad news. It's so depressing to read all that stuff. And then the Lord said, read the newspaper and pray. Read it and pray. Pray for those people that are involved. Pray for me to save them. You see, if you will begin to lift up your eyes, Jesus said it to his disciples one day, lift up your eyes and look on the hot fields, for they were white unto harvest. Don't say yet three months and then I'll start doing something. Lift up your eyes right now and look around you. And there will be a lot of sad situations. I had one next door. I started out to win my neighbor. Well, from the time I moved next door, I couldn't get acquainted with her. I mean, I tried to talk to her. She cut me off. I tried to go visit her. She said, I don't have time to talk to anybody. And slammed the door in my face. But I said, Lord, you can help me find a way. So somebody gave me a cake and already had one. So I didn't need it. So I, I called her, not for that reason, but I thought I can give her a cake. So I called her and I said, neighbor, would you meet me at the fence? And she said, what for? I said, well, you just meet me at the fence and you'll find out. So she met me at the fence, and I gave her this cake. She said, what do you want to do that for? I said, because you're my neighbor, and I love you. I love my neighbors. The Word of God teaches me to love my neighbors. And though I don't know a lot about you, I love you. And I broke down the ice that was there. I just kept on. I'd make my little batches of survival cookies that I'd take with me where I go, where I know that I'm not going to have food that I could eat. I'll take survival cookies. And I thought, I thought neighbor, meet me at the fence. What you going to do now, she'd say. And so I'd take her out, batch of survival cookies. But one day, one day, she called me and she said, neighbor, would you meet me at the fence? Well, that was a switch. I got there. She said, they say I've got cancer. And they say it's pretty far. Would you pray? I stood right there at the fence and prayed. After that, we had little Bible lessons at the fence. And then I started calling her. Every time I'd come back from a trip, I'd tell her people got healed, people got filled with the Holy Ghost, and she'd just cry. I tried to get her to church. I did everything I could. But one thing she knew, my neighbor knew that I loved her. She knew that I loved her. She knew that I cared. And we were in Gaithersburg, Maryland this year, not too long ago, and I got a phone call. And we got a phone call from uh, my editor. It was actually one called us and said, Mr. Thurman is looking for you. His wife passed away last week and her dying words was, the Freemans must bury me. Never went to church. Don't know her background or family, nothing. But we went to that funeral home. My husband and I both spoke according to her request. We got her in the ground. And every member of that family come and said, oh, you, love, you were loving to Janet. Janet was not a loving person, but you were loving to her, and she loved you. She talked about you all the time. We got the chance to preach to all of those kinfolks. Some of them had never darkened the door of a Pentecostal church in their whole life and never planned to darken one, but they got a chance to hear. She, my, prayer, my efforts, my prayers, so far as I know, she's in God's hand. I'm not the judge. But she never made a move towards God. But she talked about the love that I poured on her. And that love touched that whole family. They wouldn't hardly let us leave the cemetery. They held on to us. Different ones of the family held on to us and said, Oh, I wish I was your neighbor. <laughs> I wish I was your neighbor. Uh, God knows how. All you do is you do your best and leave the rest up to him. You don't know what he's doing. You don't know what he wants to do. But some way, somehow, we've got to do something. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. For in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. 
For I lift up my soul unto thee, O God. <laughs> I feel such an urgency about the hour we're living in now. We can't just glide through life as we have done before. We have got to lift up our eyes to the harvest. What can I do? Who can I reach? I know a lady personally who has won 400 souls. I mean, she went out and got that many and brought them in. She's not a preacher, but she goes out all the time looking. God, open doors, open doors, open doors. And God has opened doors for her. And there was 400 people that are now saved that were not saved before she went to work. And she's a sickly little old lady. She's not well. But she prays day and night, God, help me to touch someone else. And it's time for us to praise that prayer. I want you to stand right now. And we're going to pray that prayer right now, each one of us for ourselves. God, help me to reach out and touch someone else. Help me to touch them with your love. Help me to touch them with the good news of the gospel. Pray right now, there where you stand. Build, build you an altar right there where you are. Hallelujah, Jesus. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Now then, will you reach out to your neighbor and pray the same prayer for them? Lord, help my sister to reach out to others. Fill us so full of your love that we will reach out to others. We will tell others. We will do something to let others know. Pray one for another. Pray one for another. Find somebody to pray for. Reach over and put your hand on somebody's shoulder and pray for them. Help my sister to reach out, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.